Okay, Toby, I've got some news for you. You want some news? I do. But first, Matt, today's show is sponsored by... That was by the news. <laughs> I was going to... Let me try it again. <laughs> no, roll. You're not going to let me do it. I don't okay, ever get ahead. to do the pre-rolls. Go for it. Do it. You do it. Today's show is sponsored by Brooklinen. Brooklinen is the perfect place to find all the comforts for home, including ultra-soft towels. They're so confident in their products that everything comes with a lifetime warranty. Use promo code BADCHRISTIAN for 10% off your first order at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code BADCHRISTIAN. How was that, Matt? Good. Well, I'm not done because today's show is also (laughs) sponsored by Stamps.com. Stamps.com now offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no residential surcharges. Uh, get a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale by going to stamps.com. Click on that microphone at the top of the homepage and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN. Now, was that done well, Matt? That was very well Well, I'm done. not done because today's show is also sponsored by Marriage Supply. I own it. It's the best sex toy site <laughs> on earth. You should go there now. Now I'm done. Woo, very boy, good. I, I, I do work. That last one was off script, but you nailed I know, it. I know. I, Improv. Well, that's a, wow. That's what they always say about me in improv. I nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, somebody said the other day, I can't remember who it was, but they were saying that they were irritated because we were talking, we do the thing where we talk uh, and make an ad and they didn't see the ad coming and they got mad because they didn't skip the ad (laughs) because we made it so entertaining. I said, well, damn. I mean that's that's pretty excuse good me talent. for be, even being entertaining with the ads. You know what I Sorry, mean? Sorry, we're if I that trick good. You into listen to an ad, then I mean that, you listen. We should to get it. more ads. We're good yeah. at it. Good lord! Yeah. But you, I, I, if I'm entertained, you're entertained. Damn! I know. Good God! <laughs> anyway, um, I hope that turned out good. I might my uh, I was talking so loud it might be distorted, but I think I did really good on those ads. So anyway. What's going well, well, on, Matt? Welcome to the show, everybody. My mind is in one place. It would be ridiculous to talk about anything other than what my mind is focused on because okay. it's finally it's finally time to really think about it and talk about it in ways that we really actually can. And it might be a little high-minded to some people's view, but I can't help but expose uh, my true thinking on it. The more we've been talking about it since Tim from Under Oath was on the podcast and we talked about the music industry and their show yep. and the stream and everybody knows, you know, my vibe's always toward the future and new things. Um, I'm excited because it really does seem since that interview, I've talked to a ton of music industry people um, and it really seems that there's a real consumer side, fan side acceptance and demand of what is possible online for, you know, the immediate future of concerts and certainly beyond that. Um, it's, it's, uh, we're reaching a moment now where, of course, concerts aren't almost coming back. And in fact, they're saying Coachella is talking about 2022 
And I get this feeling that just like Amazon and the tech giants, they don't even the biggest of the big are just going to wait this thing out and a lot of other stuff's going to collapse and there's going to be a rebuild, but it gives the perfect birth. And I'm all, I can't wait till that happens, but it gives the perfect birth now where people are facing the music. Like, Oh, maybe I can be open-minded about digital experiences and new experiences and new types of productions. And to be honest, I'm telling you, we're due for, we're due here as a culture, music culture, we're due for a new medium entirely. Ooh, we're due for one, and I think we might have one on the horizon. I'm not trying to overhype it, but I do believe the more artists and musicians in tandem with the fans that begin to create a, compul- a culture of new experiences online, that's our group project. That's what there is for everybody to do kind of like under oath is doing there's a bunch of other bands that are going to do it and i think it's going to work really well because you really are going to get everybody's best efforts and that's what's missing that's what's been missing it's like you go around and play concerts to collect money and yeah there's big productions that are great but you know it's just the music industry got built on these scenes of people playing in basements and garages and Mm -hmm. uh, local scenes and all the stuff where you're building it and not doing it for money but just trying out new things until it got its own legs and then eventually you know, there's concerts and premium ticket prices and VIP right. experiences and stuff like that. But it's time to innovate again. And I think we're kind of ready for it. I was reading this article from Fast Company um, that was talking about all these entertainment people, like the the creator of Burning Man and the people that do Hamilton and people on Broadway. And they're all saying the same thing. Um, they're saying that the theater and their industry is, is kind of uh, cha- changing now. And it's not even really... It just doesn't make sense to even think about it the same. So they're all talking about big paradigm shifts. Um, so that's got me quite excited. I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But, okay, I mean, here we go. It's like it, all of a sudden possibility is upon us again is the way I feel. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm. I, well, I think you're right. We are due for some innovation in the music industry. It's all, And for a long time, I mean, everybody knows that musicians always get the raw end of the deal. Like the, you know, record labels get more money. The ticketing agencies get more money. All, everybody gets more the money. promoter the, screws the, you over. I mean, this is a real time <laughs> where bands can go, hey, we're going to play a show, and the, you want to support us? It goes straight to us. We did, You know, I mean, we, we this is really helping music, music makers and artists do what they want to do now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's so much opportunity. I mean, the, in fact, you can do even more than you've ever been able to do. It's it's weird. It's a, it's a strange time where the world kind of has just come to a standstill. And so, you know, what you take your do? claim. Yeah, do your Why, thing. What do you got to lose? Put your money where your mouth is. That's I mean, all you that might kind as of well. Stuff. That's where we are. And that's what uh, we're going to do, ain't we? Yeah, it is. Let me tell you about these Broadway people and stuff, though. Their words okay. really do matter, and they really do know because, I mean, you know, right. that's the big the burning man and these people. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to take my cues from people that are really understand stuff. But, uh, the, you know, this is the creative director, uh, David Corins, and he is, let me tell you who he is. He's the multimedia studio for the theater and television events that build sets for Broadway juggernauts, including Hamilton, all that. So this is a guy that worked on the set of Hamilton. He said, I think it's safe to say that premium price tickets will be a thing of the past for a while. And that's his job. That's his area. He says, you know, I'm reading. uh, He said, let me see. I'm terrible at reading. Y'all know that. Uh, (laughs) They're saying that 
all there really is to do, he says here, anybody who's saying, oh, no, I think we can get a 1,000 people in a room, everybody's going to be okay eventually, he says, they're not being realistic. We have to pivot completely and think about entertainment in a whole different way. That's Broadway yeah. saying that. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's really a big deal. And Burning Man's yeah. talking about how the spirit of Burning Man can just be in people. <laughs> Because you can't do, like, maybe you're not going to do the gathering stuff, but, and I'm not making fun of that. He's a, he's a visionary thinker, but right. he's thinking about how to get the those spirit to be distributed and occurring, whatever it is that Burning Man's about and its value. So, like, that is real paradigm shift thinking when the set designers for Broadway and the creators of big festivals are genuinely thinking in new paradigms. Yeah, Sorry, know. but that just in the big picture is very exciting to me. Especially when, like, uh, something like Burning Man, don't they wear masks anyway? Isn't that, yeah, like, I don't know. part of the deal? <laughs> they just always in a mask, I thought. And he's still thinking about new innovations. So that's pretty yeah. cool. And then I saw, I watched the Billie Eilish concert on yep. Saturday, which was just fucking awesome. It was so good. Uh, Matt Ridenauer from Hawthorne Heights was there. Me and him, you know, I, I, he, he, we were texting during the performance watching it. My daughters got to go see Billie Eilish for the first time. I realized if, if, she was in Tacoma Dome that night. I wouldn't probably have got tickets. They'd have been too expensive. It'd have been sold out. Would have been yeah. sitting down there in traffic. I don't even know if I'd have enjoyed it, but I enjoyed this big time. We set up for it. We made snacks. We got the sound good. I just wanted to get in the mode of trying to do that experience, and it was completely awesome. And what I realized when she did it with the production she did and what, I, what that was, it just the only thing I could think is, oh, that is doable with even what she's doing there that you never think you could do with a stadium tour production like U2 does, all of a sudden it looks like the type of production that bands like us can or will be able to do in the future. Right. So that's leveling the playing field. And then I'm looking at ha the people that do Hamilton say they're going to have to go online and do new things. And it seems clearly that that set that she had built with the 3D projection is where the theater's going to go. So yeah. all of a sudden the whole medium, this digital place of performance is going to be able to reach so many people, and you're going to be able to get such high-quality fans with such focus that I had on Billie Eilish concert. I was thinking, if our fans are focused on us in the same way that I'm focused on that and paying attention, you know how motivating that is to work on that production, to figure out how right. good I need to be and what the lighting needs to be. All of a sudden, it feels like it matters more than a venue show. And yeah, I'm talking about it because we're planning our, our stream, of course, is what I'm... I'm not setting this up in a marketing sense. I'm just... This is what we're talking about. I don't have a date to announce, but, you know, here we go. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... Technology now, also, just like everything else, has a real... Oh, wait, this is what's going to happen. I mean, we already have seen it. I mean, a lot of this parallels, I think, with sports and football... Football mm -hmm. used to it be it was so important to go watch the football game because you, you had a little tiny screen as doll it couldn't hardly see anything. Now you have these unbelievable televisions with unbelievable sound, and you can see everything and everything's better. I mean you you're right there. I mean way more clear a picture than even if you were at the game sitting in the nosebleeds with mm -hmm. spending you know two hundred dollars for the ticket or whatever. And so I think you are actually going to be able to offer fans more. Yeah, the and thinking really on it is cool. kind of small when people go, yeah, but I don't like just scrolling through Twitch and seeing something for five seconds in low quality by myself. Yeah, I agree. That's not what anybody's talking about, though. Right. You say the real, per the real experience of being around people, well, that matters, of course, but when you think about a football game, you might would rather watch the football game at home 
with 12 other people that are your best friends and focus deeply on the football game in high detail and have your experience that you want to have with other people in tandem with that entertainment and art form and technology. And that's very real. And also, you can go to games too. And the game is a live event. It's not a fake event. It's a live event where there are real some real people and more people, like you and your buddies watching the telecast, having your Sunday ritual in person that right. you do. And so we have all that to build as a culture and a scene. We have all those th- norms to build. We don't. We don't have them all yet, but. You know, you don't go to the football game to really, I mean, you go there for the part of it to be with other people, but you don't necessarily know the people, you know, you can be with people, you know, and participate in digital distributed productions and all that stuff. And there's new, new ways. I don't know. There's going to be lots of new ways to do that. And I sure as hell don't know what they are or the best practices are. But if the fans participate and more bands do it, it's not the kind of thing where you got to support the band because they have to do this bullshit. Right. Facebook Live until the real stuff is back. That's a pathetic attitude. I don't yep. have that attitude, you know. What Love else can we either. do more and then get everything going in the longer run? But it's not a it's not just a, a to get through. There's there's way ton of new stuff to do and if every if all the bands do this, it'll become a norm. A lot of band a lot I guess I won't announce any of them, but a lot of our peers are doing them and it seems like the idea is just working. Like so it's a uh, it's quite exciting. So we'll be in yep. that ball game. So pay attention when we have we'll have some stuff to announce. And yep, you know, we certainly will. Sure. All right, we got Alex Sakaris coming up next. He's from Skeptico Podcast and the author of Why Evil Matters. All right, but first, but first, I got to tell you about Stamps dot com. Stamps dot com is one of my favorite sponsors. It's somebody we were using before they became a sponsor, and they've been uh, a longtime sponsor as well. Okay, so. Stamps.com and the holiday season. This holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before because, you know, everybody's not hand-delivering all the presents and the shipping, shipping, shipping. That means the post office is going to be out of control. You don't have time for that. Stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping right to your computer. It just makes sense. Mail, shimp, <laughs> mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office. With Stamps.com, anything you can do at the post office is just a few clicks away. Plus, Stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. It's a must-have for any business whether you're a small office sending out invoices or an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season. I don't know. Maybe you're a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Doesn't matter. Stamps.com can handle it with ease. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail and sixty up to 62% off UPS shipping rates, UPS shipping rates. Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. It's kind of a no-brainer. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. I like that. Sign up for stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my pro with our promo code Bad Christian, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's stamps.com, enter Bad Christian. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. Hey, Toby. Hi, Matt. How you doing? 
I'm doing great. I am so glad you guys uh, agreed to have me on. It's so terrific. Yeah, well, we're to happy have to have you. You sound good. Um, you're obviously a professional. You know, you do podcasts and have a mic and headphones, and we're already off and rolling here. Absolutely yeah. not. I'm faking it. You guys are so <laughs> pro website, all that stuff. You guys got it. No, well, we've I'm been doing it hack. for quite a while. So, uh, so we have Alex, and let me make sure I got this right. Sakaris, is that how you say your last name? That's perfect. Perfect. All right. He's the host of Skeptico Podcast and author of Why Evil Matters. And uh, you guys wrote us and said, we had, I got this book called Why Evil Matters, and uh, we thought that would be pretty interesting, so we'll, we'll get into it here. But uh, I guess my, I want to hit first with your podcast, Skeptico, because Matt and I, Matt, you think you call us skeptics? Is that what we well, are? I identify generally as a skeptic in the way that I approach information, yes. But I don't know that you are, no. <laughs> I mean, our, our overall, you, we are, I, I attach skepticism to like a form of rationality or something as like a method. You just are naturally skeptical, and the tone of our dynamic together, we don't give anybody the benefit of the doubt if possible, and we try to understand things. But I think, you know, skepticism, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what, what your definition is. Yeah, you're just it, like us, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's funny because when I first started the show, I have to say one of the missions was to kind of counterbalance what was at the time the skeptic thing. Remember mm-hmm. with the Richard Dawkins and the yep. big buses around London, you know, God right. is not real, get over it. I was like, wow, I don't know that those guys are really scientifically really <laughs> looking at that yeah. thing. And I wanted to look at it from that perspective. I have uh, ancestry Greek on half my side, so I looked up this skeptico. I came that there were these Greek philosophers, skepticos, and those were the true originators of the idea. But what didn't dawn on me literally until, you know, years later that I went really back and looked at it, their motto, which I think is quite beautiful and I think is at the heart of what you guys do on BC is inquiry to perpetuate doubt. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I want to know and I'm okay if that creates doubt, that's okay. That's part of the process. I just, I just want to know more because I think doubt is a really spiritual thing. When somebody tells me they know, they know, you know, the answer, right. uh, that I'm genuinely skeptical of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certainty for sure is, is one of the things that has always thrown me and Matt off. It's probably one of the reasons why we've been such good friends for a long time. You start sniffing around that certainty or somebody really trying to give you something. And then that's is what makes me skeptical. Cause I can't, I can't trust that because I know how little I know. So how are they, how are they so far past me? You know what I mean? You, what, what did they do? You know, it's funny. It, it's funny. Tell me, let me just jump in with a quick point, uh, a little anecdote. You know, I was talking to this woman, uh, the, the other day, because she had written this really nice book, kind of a sciencey book, Schrodinger's Cat, this uh, very famous physics experiment about yeah. consciousness. So we get to talking, and it turns out, you know, when I'm telling her inquiry to perpetuate doubt, doubt is a spiritual thing. She goes, Oh, no, I don't doubt. I don't have any doubt. Turns out she's, you know, remember the Ramtha occult uh, thing? Jay-Z Knight, have you ever heard of that? No, I don't know that one. There's this cult, Ramtha, the Ramtha cult. She's in that cult. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, you don't have any doubt. I mean, that's that's 
people who don't have any doubt a lot in cults, you know, you don't have any doubt. Yes, you know. right. Yeah, the more certainty you have, the more likely you are in a cult. <laughs> yes, right. right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <clears throat> sorry, I don't know so, who was talking. Oh, there. sorry, my headphones came out. I apologize. Okay. I was I was getting ready to ask a question, but so from your with Skeptico the podcast, you are coming from a spiritual take it seems like like i was going through and a lot of the, some of the episodes like you have guests that talk about uh talking with people from the grave and creating technology to talk to people who are dead uh mixing virtual reality and spiritual experience near-death experience a, bu- a bunch of those uh you you had uh tom zenzera zenzers oh forgot. tom zenzer yeah and talking about oh, the difference man. between darkness That's... and evil so is your is your background christianity are you a christian what, what's the like, are you skeptical what? of Christianity or what are you? Greek, Greek Orthodox was my, you know, indoctrination into the cult. So it's like, you know, I don't know if you know anything about uh, Greek Orthodox. I think South Carolina, there's like a couple of communities down there of uh, where the Greeks meet it down there. But yeah, we were more in, evangelical. D- What's that? We were mostly evangelical, you know, charismatic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, evangelical. Uh, Clemson fans. I mean, right, that kind right. Of says yep. it all. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> but that was my background. Was uh, I was brought up uh, Greek Orthodox, and then, you know, as far as the show and this kind of inquiry to perpetuate doubt kind of thing, I, I, I've tr- I really tried to stick close to the science at the beginning because I felt like there's a grounding there that I think we all like, even though. There's limitations to science, and science has a tendency to be co-opted and, you know, manipulated like a lot of other things are, but it's still there. But, you, you know, let, let me, before you, 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 you're you going to level three when you talk Tom Zinzer. <laughs> I would start with the the bad Christian conversation, the conversation I wanted to have with you. Because when I wrote you guys, I said, I tell you, I tuned in your podcast and I didn't know quite what to expect. And I was genuinely blown away. I mean, you guys are talking about social cohesion and transhumanism and what esports means from a consciousness perspective, <laughs> all this stuff. <laughs> I, no, fantastic. And I'm telling you, and I mean it in all sincerity, and I'll give, give you an example. It's, it's a deeper dive than I've had with a lot of the uh, religious scholars, because again, I kind of went through the academic route and talking to these people. So I'll give you an example. I talked to this guy. First of all, Scientology, we can agree, is a cult, right? Or yes. is that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Scientology is a cult, obvious to anyone. So I interviewed this guy, a religious professor from Ohio State University, third best football team in the country last year. Maybe it would have been first best if. Lazarus down there <laughs> after he took that hit wouldn't have come up. I don't know how he did that, Trevor Lawrence. But yeah. he, I'm interviewing him. He's Ohio State University. This is a very well-respected uh, research institution, in case somebody doesn't know that. And his research is on Scientology, and he's written this book. It's quite a popular book. It's kind of an academic book. And it's kind of, you know, claims to be the pros and cons of Scientology, you know, this new religious movement. That's what they call it very carefully. But his research reveals, check this out, that he can verify for a fact that the guy who, uh, the guy who started that religion, L. Ron Hubbard, 
was out with Jack Parsons, who is kind of famous guy who started uh, Jet Propulsions Lab, this fam- and a rocket, genuine rocket scientist who dies later doing these rockets. They're out in the desert doing a magic ritual, trying to summon the whore of Babylon in order to give birth to the Antichrist. And they are in communication consulting with Aleister Crowley in England. So now the guy, Hugh, Dr. Hugh Urban, who's a nice enough guy, is confirming that this did happen. Yes, he does have the evidence for that. I go, doesn't that, doesn't that concern you, Dr. Urban, at least a little bit? And he's like, no, you know, at this point, I've kind of seen everything, does it all. And it doesn't matter if there's a reality to that. It only matters what they believe. And I was like, hold on a second. I mean, not in my view. First and foremost, I want to know if there's any chance that there's a reality to these guys connecting to some other realm in order to bring forth the Antichrist. Yeah, I kind of want to pin that down before I say it only matters what they believe. I mean, I get kind of his point, but it's an example of how just totally absurd academia has become in terms of really trying to understand spirituality beyond kind of a narrowly defined religious one way or another way or scientific complete denial you know of it and so that's what really kind of motivated me to say so to me that's why evil matters right is because are are you saying let me stop you and make sure i understand what you're saying you're saying that if l ron hubbard was friends with or collaborating or did stuff with Aleister Crowley and uh, who's the Parsons, Parsons. guy? Parsons. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jack, Jack Parsons. Parsons. If he was working with them, then you are somebody who thinks, what if they were really onto something and they were trying to summon evil and you can't just dismiss that because maybe they would be able to do that? It's that they would spend their time doing that? Well, I, I, yes. I mean... To, Short answer, Matt, yes. The longer answer is, what the hell is an Ohio State University professor of religion saying it doesn't matter? Wake up. You're the guys we're looking to to figure this stuff out, and you're saying it doesn't. Of course it matters. It's the first and foremost thing that matters. Is there another realm? Is it possible to connect with that other realm? Can you bring evil from that realm? Can you bring good from that realm? I mean, somebody's got to be looking at that. Yeah, but he would say not him. <laughs> that's not his. That's not what he's looking at. I mean, well, 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 who do we? Who is looking at? But you, I, mean, right. I think you. <laughs> well, man, that's, that's, you know, it's the stuff of people like you know, it's the realm of speculators is what I think the point is there. Like he wouldn't want anywhere that near his science because he's pretty. There's nothing really to, you know. Like, I agree with you that academia is is gotten some really bizarre stuff going on in it that's unhelpful if the main goal is figuring things out that are possibly new. Um, there's some real problems there. But he, I find most academics are annoying in that they try to get distance from everything Reality. and only speak super narrowly so that they can't, you know. I think that they're... I'm not trying to be off on a tangent here. I'm just trying to frame this conversation right. I'm frustrated with academic academia and science to the degree 
which, which with which it is over specialized and narrow, and it does not do enough. There's not enough people that are uh, in multiple fields or polymaths or all around people to connect this knowledge. It's just like if you do crops on one thing and you only make corn, that's bad. You and 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 academics are terrible about that. But I think that describes largely what the guy you're talking about is saying. He's just saying I'm studying this one thing and doing this, and those stuff don't matter to me. I'm focused on this one thing. To which maybe your point is, well, then nobody is, and somebody should be. But he is trying to just not be in that realm because he would figure he doesn't know about it. There's nothing to verify. It would just tarnish his work if he was associated with. I think that's probably the. At the point of view of most academics, right? What do you think about that, Toby? Well, I probably fall in the the middle. I, I think I see what you're saying. The idea of, okay, for example, uh, Scientology has been successful. So there is something there that made it that way. So I'm not necessarily thinking that there, for me, I'll go, I don't know the realm if, if that's true or not, but why did L. Ron Hubbard and these other guys, like, why did they try to do that? What were they searching for and what led them to being able to create successful cults? You know what I mean? Like that, that idea, if, if that's what you're saying is evil, I don't know if it, I don't know anymore. I grew up thinking demons and, uh, angels and they were constantly battling for you and on your side and stuff like that. And then I started even probably fairly recently started thinking about how demons are just the easiest way to not take responsibility. It was, you know, I'm being attacked by Satan. There's, there's demonic presence here. It's all this stuff, but really you're just an asshole. You, you just, you know, you, you just like the drugs you use or abuse that you give or all those things. So, but I do think there's something valuable there that is cast off by some of the academic world with spirituality, because it, that actually is where some ideas are created and things are made as well. There's, there is a spirit to creativity, ideas, information. And so Maybe you are have exhausted several things, and so you go out in the desert with your buddy and try to find Satan or something. You know, like that. That why not try it? And and I do think there's a reason for that. I don't know if that helps well, two, you understand two my things. Point. There's about ten jumping off points. They're all which could be really interesting, especially because you guys do have a unique perspective on this, and I think it's a really interesting perspective. Um, so that wasn't the end of my interview series. With that, I went and interviewed a Scientology reformed ex-Scientology guy, a guy named Chris Shelton, who has a podcast. And he was not at all, he, he didn't particularly like me because he's an atheist. So he wasn't totally down with what I was saying. But he was really, really critical of my buddy, Dr. Hugh Urban at Ohio State. And he said, look, I was in Scientology. I was at the highest level of cranking out the kind of propaganda that this professor is reading and quoting, that was our that was our game, you know, is how can you shade it to look enough like a religion where they have to kind of respond in that way. So he was very critical of academia's understanding of Scientology as a new religious movement. All right, let's take a quick break. You probably heard us talk about Brooklyn and before I know you have because I love them so much. Seriously, they're the home of the Internet's favorite sheets, but also their towels. They're just so amazing. Let me tell you, I moved to the cold city of Champaign and it is cold and I love getting warm in a hot shower. I take it. I turn that hot 
all the way up as high as I can get, but as much as I can stand it because I've been so cold lately. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's like in the high 30s here, which is very cold for a southern boy. And uh, I have my Brooklyn and towel right on the edge so I can just stick my two fingers out, my index finger and my thumb, and pull my towel in so I can stay in the warmth of the shower when I turn it off. Uh, I got it so steamy and so good, and that towel is just so big and so plush and so warm. Seriously, I just love it. This towel is next level. It's basically like I am have a little spa for myself, and I mean, I'm almost 45 years old. Can't can't a man have like a spa experience in his own bathroom? I mean, I can't go to anywhere hardly anymore. The world's all upside down. But in my bathroom, getting out of my shower, I have something that is just fabulous. I'm going to say it. Brooklyn and towels are awesome. Brooklinen is the perfect place to find all the comforts for home, including ultra soft towels. So they're also so confident in their product that everything comes with a lifetime warranty. A lifetime warranty. Use promo code BADCHRISTIAN for 10% off your first order at Brooklinen. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. I'm still unclear on if, from your point of view, you're looking at L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology or all the people involved there, former or current, as they are involved with something evil and spiritual from another realm or they are good uh you know con men well they're clearly good con men con men but they were clearly accessing an extended consciousness realm that is without doubt i mean that can't be questioned and here's the part i guess you know so i wrote this book be questioned that well, it, are- it can't. Of course, it can be questioned. But let me put it. Yeah, I wrote a book a, a while ago when I first got kind of halfway into this called "Why Science Is Wrong About Almost Anything," about almost everything. And it's a provocative title, I know. But here's the point of the book. The point of the book is that we've known for a long time that consciousness is real. It's not an illusion. It's not an epiphenomenon of the brain. It's not what mainstream materialist science has claimed that it is. It is verifiable by, like the the experiment I was talking about, the Schrodinger's cat experiment was part of that whole, you know, quantum physics experiments. If you've ever heard of the double slit experiment, it's one of the mm-hmm. most famous science experiments of all times. And what that experiment reveals is kind of the old Zen thing. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to observe it, you know, does it make any sound? Well, the double slit experiment said the observer, i.e. consciousness, is somehow fundamental to our ability to measure anything, which is what science is, right? Science is about measuring the outside world. And yeah, I don't, I don't think so though on that. I can't, I don't think that, that, no, I don't think that you're saying that accurately about, about the double, well, Schrodinger's cat or the double slit experiment, but in the double slit experiment, consciousness is not required for the observer effect that you're talking about to have the effect on the wave or particle function of the electron. Is conscious not required, simply that an electron detector that does not have consciousness be present. 
See, you're up on your stuff, man. So that was, <laughs> that was one of the that was one of the questions, right? So that was one of the interpretations was that, and that kind of saved the materialists for a while because they could kind of tread on that water. But it really, what happened is that experiment has then been replicated over and over and over again in a bunch of different ways. And one of the most interesting ways that I think it's been replicated is by a guy named uh, Dr. Dean Radin. Super smart guy, has written some best-selling books. And he's, what he did is he said, okay, let's get right to Matt's question. Let's set up the double, because now we have, you know, these photon beam generators back when they did it, you know, it required the whole university to budget it and stuff like that. Now you can buy those things, you know. I don't know how much they are, but tens of thousands, low tens of thousands of dollars. So he set up an experiment, same thing, photon beam generator, and he put a, a yogi meditator guy over in the corner and he said, okay, I'm shooting the photon beam. I'll tell you when to affect it. I'll tell you when to stop it. Go stop, go stop. He measures it, boom. So this is another version of the experiment, right? So he gets a six sigma result. Six sigma is like beyond statistical. I mean, it's an over-the-top measurement. Replicated multiple times in his lab, replicated in multiple times in other labs around the world. So, you know, the scientific materialists holding on to this idea that the observer effect isn't real, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. I'm sorry, I'm not following your experiment, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't follow. Okay, so the, the the double slit experiment was you shoot a foot, you shoot a photon beam, like the smallest measure of light, mm-hmm. and the reason why they like the photon beam is because you can really get precise in terms of measuring that, and the double slit experiment was it goes through the slits and then on the other end, it either creates the little dots or it creates the pattern. Mm-hmm. But the real point of that whole exercise was, does somebody observing it, does consciousness affect that experiment? Because if it does, science as we know it is kind of in uncharted territory now. Because yeah, but it doesn't. It's just. It's just that consciousness is not part of the requirement for the double slit experiment. It is not well, so, consciousness that causes the part, difference. But the second part of that, Matt, is so if you set up a photon beam and you are able to, you know, meditate and change the photon beam, you are doing the, the you are doing the observer effect, right? How did, I, I don't know that experiment of how meditation changes the outcome specifically. I don't understand that. Well, that's well, you don't understand how that could happen, or you don't. I don't understand what the claim is. The the claim of that experiment is that what the meditator does what? Well, mechanically it's a demonstra- speaking, it's a demonstration of the observ- of the observer effect, right? It would be a demonstration of the observer effect because now consciousness. What does the meditator observe in the experiment? Well, the the meditator is asked to focus on the photon beam and change the measurement on the other side of the photon beam, right? So the photon beam's over here and we're measuring how fast it goes. And if he can change that, 
that with consciousness, then we we have. So we're, we're talking it, about like telepathy or something like that. Like the, uh, when you say the consciousness, you're saying that the human brain is is far more attached to this invisible world than we know, and it can control things. Well, you know, as as we were kind of stuck in the mud there. I'm skeptical but, of that, Alex. What's that? <laughs> I'm skeptical of that. <laughs> right. Well, I, would, I mean, be. yeah, that, I'm not aware of that study. I'm sure you could pull it up and it could be, you know, maybe it's debunked or, or not. Or it's oh, no, or, no, or, no. Or whatever, it's not, it's, it's the opposite of debunked. But see, the, the, the real debunking here is that the claim that consciousness is an illusion that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of the brain, which is where you're going when you're rejecting the observer effect. The observer effect, people who reject the observer effect are saying, no, consciousness is a product of the brain. So Mm -hmm. what I do is, is, well, there's a lot of room between that and not being able to, I mean, this, we're in a pretty decent place. There really isn't here. There really isn't. The, the, the place that we're in, you and I here, I do find interesting because it is not that I'm trying to say that there I don't that I know what consciousness is or what effects it might have or that it doesn't exist or that it can't affect things. You know, I'm not saying that is not what I'm trying to say. So you have to leave room for that and how it could be true or whatever. But that's not the same. But that's not the same thing. I don't think as what you're saying or what what we have enough evidence to believe, or certainly not to believe it to the degree of certainty which with you're saying it. You know, I, I'd have it to push you. I'd have to push you pretty hard on that, Matt, because that is not where science is at. Science does not materialist science that you're describing doesn't mm-hmm. re- leave the wiggle room that you want to give it. If you want to give any wiggle room to that consciousness thing that, oh, I think consciousness is real. Well, in what way is it real beyond being generated by your brain? If you want to get. Let's just go. Toby can engage right there. We can leave the physics aside there. But, uh, you know, I have no claim that anybody. I can't make any claim that I can be very sure of beyond the fact that I have consciousness and I experience it. That I feel on solid ground to claim that's it. I don't go farther than that. I don't know that you're conscious. You know, I don't, that I don't have that. I, I don't take that as a foregone conclusion. And I do believe one day we'll have science of, uh, surrounding that or maybe something beyond science. So I am, we have philosophy, be, we have philosophy not, verifying what you just said. What you just said is probably one of the most I- I- important things so far in this discussion, because what science and philosophy is about is explaining shit, explaining who we are, why we're here with as few of miracles as possible. I'm not mm-hmm. against miracles. I love miracles, but the job of science and philosophy is to do it without miracles. When someone says that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of the brain. Consciousness, you're a biologic robot and meaningless universe. Get over it. When they say that, which is what mainstream science says, that is their dogma. That is their doctrine. They will die on the hill for that. What you just said is the zero miracle or the one miracle thing, which is, Mm -hmm. I know I'm conscious. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And exactly what you said. I don't know if you're conscious. I don't know if you're a robot. I don't know, but I know I'm conscious. Yes. Now you take and you go back to your observer effect. The observer effect has, to, or, or the the claim that it's not the observer effect. The other interpretation of that experiment requires two miracles. It requires I'm in here. And it requires the miracle that there's something out there and I can measure it and all the rest of that. That's, that's a miracle that you shouldn't make. The only thing you start with is that I am conscious. I, and that to me is the most spiritual jumping off point that we can get because we live in a culture, a scientific centered culture that we send our kids to school and they're drilled with the idea that you are a biological robot, that life is meaningless. It never could have meaning. So just get over it. And it's been falsified philosophically, scientifically over and over again. But you have all the views of everybody that's not you wrapped up into one view, but many of the things you're saying are separate views that many people have in varying degrees, but you want to lump them all into materialist science that has a dogma, but I don't, I mean, many of the things you're saying, I, I disagree with, with you and many of the things you said, I, I, uh, agree with, but I don't think it's a dogma. I just don't know more about consciousness yet. That doesn't mean it's a dogma that says there isn't consciousness or other people don't have it or it's not and it maybe it's an epiphenomenon sure might be i don't know well that's not a dogma epi- if it's an epi well yeah it is i mean if it's an epiphenomenon of the brain then it can't it, it's one it, or the other it, it can't it's be not a, it's not a dogma for me to say i don't know if it is or not it could be either one there's no dogma there but we're that's saying not a dogma. this is I just i just don't know but it's scientific materialism I and mean, we're talking about science now right so we're, we can go back and try and wrestle the uh, double slit experiment to the ground again. But no, that is the claim of science. When I say uh, consciousness is an illusion, that's the most famous, you know, Daniel Dennett uh, mm-hmm. at Tufts University. That's his claim. So, you know, Richard Dawkins. It, it might the, be, though. It, where's the well, dog? No, it's it's just, he's, it's, maybe he's right. I don't know. No, it has to be one or the other. It, it, it has to yeah, be Yeah, but one you don't other. know it which one. Both. It, could, it could be either, but you don't know which. No, it, it neither it, does Daniel Dennett or me or you. We don't know if it's epiphenomenon. If it's real, I mean, don't know. Well, it can't be an ep- if it's an epiphenomenon of the brain. Mm-hmm. Then it can't be more than that. But maybe that's enough. Why is that? Why would that be so it, bad or evil? I mean, what, it's what's possible the evil that I'm there? just having consciousness right now as some random accident, and it's just freaking crazy that I'm able to have this point of view. Uh, that might be. I, I can't prove otherwise. That's for sure. I mean, I don't. It doesn't seem to be the case, but I'll have to keep somewhat open on the idea that consciousness was either designed for function, or it was designed by evolution for a function. It was an epiphenomenon that arose uh, accidentally from evolution. That is just a, a wonder that I'm happened to be having some experience over here. That, that I mean, I'm not saying I think that's the best explanation, but maybe time will tell, and then we will know. But today we don't. For me, consciousness is probably the most unique thing in the universe so far. Right. And so I I can understand that, but I can't, uh, I don't know. And and this is what I wanted to get to too. Like the idea of even when you, what we were going back to earlier, earlier, can you connect into something that we call the spiritual world or is, is there another realm or what, what that means? I, I cannot prove to you that, uh, 100% that I am real. Now I can tell you all day and you can see me and you can experience me and all that stuff. But I, 
I, I mean, couldn't there is a chance, maybe the smallest percentage chance that this is a simulation that we our consciousness is just something that a creator gave us. For example, in the Bible, didn't we come out of God's mind? There wasn't anything, and then are we just in God's mind? Is the simulation a thought? And do your thoughts, when you come up with an idea, a character for a book or something, or did they did they do things? They 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 do things that seem like a, a humanistic or whatever. But do they actually have a consciousness or, or not? So in that aspect, I don't know. The weight you're putting on consciousness seems like the the either or there that it has to be this or that. I don't know either either side. There's not a clear answer there, right? I, I don't see the clear answer of well, it, it's just a, it, we are meaningless or we have meaning. I think each person decides their meaning most likely. But how does the how do we get to when you're talking about evil in your book? Why evil matters. Um, What's the connection here with consciousness and this other realm? Why is the other realm only evil? Well, you know, actually, we we can't. I guess my point is we can't get there to talking about evil until we wrestle some of these things to the ground. I love this discussion. This is exactly the kind of stuff. I got 200 shows on this discussion with leading with some of the leading scientists in the world. Well, what's the um, consensus for you and your show on what consciousness is? I mean, to me, it's a very, it's the biggest and most important open question. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm open to some good explanations, but you seem relatively settled on what consciousness is. Well, not, so I, I, I'm not so settled on what consciousness is. I'm settled on falsifying scientific materialism. Because okay. it's absurd. The idea okay. that you are a biological robot in a meaningless universe. And back to Toby's point, you know, even if you're in a simulation, shit, it's still you. Let's say it's a simulation, Toby. Let's say it's a simulation. Yep. You're experiencing it. Same difference, right? I agree with that. Your consciousness, which is the same thing that you said, Matt, really. You said, hey, I know I'm here. And you even said the next part of it. I don't know if you're there, Alex. I don't know if right. you're an AI robot from the future or what, but I know I'm in here. And yes, I'm telling you, know. you, you don't want to, you, if you have looked into it as far as I have, you would be forced to agree with me on this point. Is that scientific materialism and the shit that they're going to teach or have already have taught your kids, my kids, you know, oldest 25 the youngest 17, so they've already been taught, indoctrinated with this, is exactly what I told you, that you're mm -hmm. a biological robot and the, and the universe is meaningless. And mm -hmm. what, they see, what they say is that it's a social construct. Mm -hmm. Meaning is a social construct. There is no meaning, real meaning out there. But, oh, you can create meaning in your life. Well, that's bullshit. If there's, if there's any, if there's this much meaning in your life, and there is meaning in my life, and my love of my wife, my love of my kids is meaningful. It is real meaning. It isn't just a social construct. If there's that much of it, <laughs> then there's meaning in the universe. Mm, okay. So, so, we're, so uh, my point is, and I know I went on, but my point no, is okay. this, is that we've been bullshitted and it is, there is an intentional effort among that class of scientific materialists 
Dawkins and push, them, you, you would say. It's a crowd who's doing a thing that you don't like. Is it Dawkins and them? Who else is on that list? No, it's, yeah, it is. They're on the surface, but it's really, it's, it's built into science as, as we know it. So there's mm-hmm. a few people on the outside who are saying, you know, we could go in and talk about near-death experience, which kind of totally blows it out of the water. But I want to hear, what do you think about that last point, Toby? Me? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, okay, so you keep saying scientific materialism. And I was yeah, like, that well, is, I think that's exactly I'm, where we could really, really get to. If we could define that, that might help here. So, uh, to, and Toby, you can yep. take this, but scientific materialism. Is the belief um, that physical reality as made available to the, natural, to the natural sciences is all that truly exists. Do we all three agree on that? Yes. That all exists. Is, yeah. Yes. Now, who is a scientific materialist that believes that with no exception to that or possibility beyond that? Um, and there, what their agenda is, 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 is kind of where. There, there can't be an exception to that, right? I mean, the exception of that it philosophically is like um, idealism. Okay. Yeah, but so, but there's uh, okay. Let's see if I, I mean see if I can help here. So I'm saying if you want to vilify or say somebody like Dawkins is on that train, and no matter what, he's anti God, he hates religion, and he's so blinded by that that he is so closed off that he cannot even entertain that there could ever be a spiritual realm. So what an idiot! What a fool he's become for all how smart he is. That's the that drives evil. you and many people crazy. It's a distasteful way of being. If anybody is that way, that is distasteful. I'm not sure that Dawkins actually is that, but in that characterization, that is there's a stench to that that nobody is okay with. And scientific materialism. If it were a religion that somebody had to adhere to or subscribe to or pay their dues to, it would say the people that were in that religion, if it were a religion, um, that they don't believe in there's a spiritual realm. That would all be true. But I am saying that to look at myself as a robot meat sack that's programmed is a completely legitimate way— and maybe a productive way for me to view things from where I'm sitting. I'm not in that cult of scientific realism, but that point of view of looking at this reality as all I can see now and how do I make meaning and what, how would I think through things if I was an evolutionary robot meat sack – um, to be honest, I do think I do find that the most one of the most useful ways to navigate the world. I do I inhabit that yeah, view is that, most of the time. But Alex is I'm not Matt, in any cult. Is Matt saying that? What's is that? Is there evil in being a, a meat sack? Uh, like the idea? What's the evil side of potentially this? We were an accident, or we we are just here, or you know, where's the like? I don't know for sure. I just operate wh- that way a lot. Why would somebody? Why would well. a material scientist, in your opinion, be bad or evil? Like, what's their their goal is to hurt us or steal us from God or something? Well, again, so so first of all, uh, you know, back to Matt's point, totally right on to that, right? So you're trying to navigate the world the best you can, and so am I. And any way you do it, I don't have any problem with. I mean, and and I don't. I, not only do I not have a problem with it, as if you care if I have a problem with it, but I think it's you're doing the same thing that I'm doing that we're all doing. We're trying a bunch of different ideas. Agreed. I think it is important to call to try and understand culture, right? And try and scientific culture. 
and to break mm -hmm. this stuff down. And it's intellectually interesting to me. So, you know, back to the original story about Hugh Urban, what you have in the big picture here is you have the, the hard sciences. And the one thing I, I would say is you kind of mischaracterized uh, innocently, you know, Myers, I don't hate Richard Dawkins. I don't hate anybody, you know, somebody's uh, Yeah. Sorry if, some... I, if we implied that. No. Yeah. Well, I don't think you, you hate anybody for sure. No, but I, I agree that that point of view, the anti spiritual, that they're confident there could be nothing beyond this realm view is, is a stench to that, that I dislike is all I'm saying. I agree yes. that that, general attitude is probably really going to be faulty in the end <laughs> and they will have missed yes. something i agree with that or and, possibly and, I'm, and I'm taking it one step further i'm taking it one step further and saying i don't think that's accidental i think that's by design and i think there's certain things that come along with that that make people more pliable you know you can kind of control people better i mean if, if you think you're a biological robot in a meaningless universe if you really buy into that, you know, you don't put up much of a fight in a lot of ways. But, you know, just put that as, as a backseat. Because so I want to return to Hugh Urban at, at uh, Ohio State and, and just point out how absurd some of this stuff is. So you're not totally down with my idea of how absurd scientific materialism is. Okay. Yeah, I, so but, I, but I don't, it's not a camp that, I, first of all, I don't think Richard Dawkins is in that religion. I think he use, sees the world through that lens or tool often uh, professionally. Oh, you know, no. I mean, no, it's just, totally... a, it's, it's, it's a tool of, of understanding. I mean, I've read, it doesn't matter, but I've read, I've read Dawkins books. I read them because I like them. They're good. He's one of the best. Yeah, you know? but no, he, but, he's but totally no, I'm not talking about the guy's camp. a person or what his beliefs. I don't even care about that. When he talks about uh, evolution and explains it um, biologically and scientifically, it's useful, good thinking that is in a mindset, just like a college coach has a all, you know, the Clemson's coach has his philosophy and Nick Saban has a different philosophy. It's not that they're right or wrong. They're ways that they engage their systems to do things and they have the results that they have, but it's not, it doesn't have to be about something more than using the tool to analyze through that frame of reference and it be useful in, in the way that it's useful. That's mainly, that's what science is supposed to be. And I understand. Supposed to be. I yeah, like and I understand that there are people, first of all, academia, I, I, I'm no fan. I'm just no fan. I wish a lot more science was done outside of academia would be ideal in my view. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, there's tons of things that creep into powerful tools. When there's ever a powerful tool to do something that gets results, all manner of people will co-opt it and try to make it mean things socially and uh, all these other ways. But it shouldn't. Agree on all that. Don't agree on your characterization of Dawkins. Uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is another one. I play a clip. I played it like a hundred times on my show. Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, you know, I think consciousness is an illusion. I think that's how it will play out. But, you know, we can stick with these atheists who are kind of upfront and poke fun at them. But I, I, my point is not that. It's that this is completely ingrained in science as we know it. So when you go over to neuroscience, there's no room for consciousness in neuroscience. That fMRI that's looking at your brain and what it's doing, it is not considering the possibility because the alternative possibility to scientific materialism is that consciousness is somehow fundamental. 
And we're all a little bit uncomfortable with that because it's kind of a crazy idea. But scientifically, that's where all the data points. Science has no ability to – I mean, let's look at the fMRI. The fMRI is never wrong about its interpretation of the social construct or dogma. The fMRI is not wrong, and the fMRI, the blood flow of the functional magnetic resonance imaging, is neutral. It's impartial, and there's not any dogma involved. It just – looks at where blood is moving in your brain at any given time, or across time is what MRI does. That is neutral. It can be used, interpreted, whatever, by humans to mean things. But it's not, and it can't tell you shit uh, more than it can tell you. But people can read more into it than that. But the the data that it is doing, the, the what is happening there, is not, it's not saying to have an fMRI and use one is not to deny something about consciousness. It's just we have a tool, fMRI, that's unbelievable for many, many things, and we have no tools that are close to uncovering what consciousness really is yet. None. We have none. We're maybe thousands of years away from the, the scientific discoveries there. That's, where, that's the way I feel. Well, that's it could I be to ask. anything is possible. I wanted to ask Alex, why would the scientific materialist, why would you said it was designed or planned that way? What is the goal? Like to deny consciousness uh, or the spirituality or the connection of the realm, what what are you saying? That there there's an evil behind it, a, another realm that is pulling the strings? Or what is the connection there? Why would all scientific materialists be pitted against consciousness or, or what, See, what? that's that's really not where i'm coming from and even my understanding of evil is different it's like a very personal kind of thing it's not this kind of global you know evil attacking satan's yeah. over here but why is neil deGrasse that. tyson for example what is, is he bad are you saying he's bad or what, 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 what's his goal for, for what what, him, what well, is the I mean, what you is know the... there's the useful idiot model too it's like a lot of these people we see you, you can find people that believe a lot of different things and then you can just promote them a little bit or put the cheese down in the maze and they follow it and it doesn't matter it's like richard dawkins like you're saying you know i mean he's not not a dumb guy and he writes beautiful books and stuff like that. He's wrong about evolution and neo-Darwinism. It's just how not is correct. he wrong about evolution? I'll tell you, I'll tell you how he's wrong. First of all, evolution. The, evolution. Who are the co-inventors of evolution? Wallace <laughs> and Darwin. For the first hundred years, that's how it's taught. Wallace and Darwin. Wallace and Darwin. Both invented at the same time. If you really look into it, Darwin stole Wallace's paper. But here's where it's wrong. The idea of survival in the fittest. Survival of the fittest which is the social understanding of it, doesn't, isn't really true, right? It's, and it's obvious as soon as someone points it out to you. It's the non-survival of the least fit, right? You don't have to be the fastest gazelle, just don't be the slowest. Right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, it's not about survival of the individual, because that ain't going to give you much. It's about survival of the group, right? So if your group of chimpanzees, what do they call them, troop or whatever, if it survives, then you go, right? But, so, I mean, there's scientists and Dawkins and them don't even at all agree about group selection and its role in evolution. It's just not even a consensus about that. But you don't, disagree with, you don't disagree with that, what I'm saying, right? I mean, what I'm saying is, is obvious, right? I don't think so. I'm sorry. I, I don't think – I heard you say that survival of the fittest isn't real, but unsurvival of the unfit is real, which sound like the same thing, and that group selection – so you said something about referencing group selection, but I'm not clear on what your claim is there. I'm sorry. Well, on the first one, 
you don't have to be the fastest gazelle. You just can't be the slowest, right? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yes. So it's not about survival of the fittest. It's about non-survival of the least fit. So, I don't see them as two different statements, but in, in either way, the level of selection happens at the level of the gene, not the individual. So I, I agree with you if you say that you get to survive a little bit as an individual doesn't get you very far, but it is it is the the uh, reg, the replication of the genetic code that is selected for. Everything else is tag along to that. Is the way to view evolution. Maybe, maybe. So if, if we weren't going to spend all our time down that path, I just brought that up as an example of where I think a lot of the things we think we know about some of these things are deeper. And more importantly, what I was really trying to show back to Toby's point is that there are social implications, right? So the reason, if you look at it from a political, and I'm a very apolitical person, but survival of the fittest has a certain social implications for it in terms of the, 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 the especially Darwin and his class of people, which were, you know, kind of upper crust people mm-hmm. that kind of like the survival of the fittest. Non-survival of the least fit, Wallace's class, more of a working man kind of guy, that kind of fits there too. It's like, hey, we all, we're all in this together kind of thing. So those are obvious social interpretations of it so it depends science and our interpretation of it matters socially and that's my point about the consciousness is an illusion and materialism versus that is it has implications not that neil degrasse tyson is you know has some evil secret agenda it's just that these things these things have implications and i'll I'll let you guys talk and then we'll get back to the fmri because i can give you an example of the fmri that kind of We'll make that point. Well, I was just going to have you clarify, like you said earlier, that, you know, that you said that camp, uh, what, and it was designed, what is the goal? Like with consciousness or with our culture, what is is the goal? Somebody like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, are you saying he's just a pawn in this design that is supposed to what? Why, why, what are they trying to do? Keep, keep us from spirituality? You know, that's, that's, we, we got to get there down the road. Cause I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know when I turn on Netflix with my kids and everything is, you know, either it, it just seems to have a certain flavor to it. That is it's a different worldview. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it is a clash of worldview and the clashes of worldview matter and have consequences. We can totally agree about that. Right. And I don't think those are by accident they seem to be somewhat okay and that's from another realm is that what you're saying like another no, no, uh, an evil no, entity Toby, or, see see if this makes what? sense see if this see if we can converge here yeah there are different worldviews some include spirituality evolution some don't and it's totally understandable that people would have different worldview like when you're thinking about the world and you think about god made me and he made me for this yeah. purpose i can understand how that could work for a group of people and whether or not it's literally true, it is the fabric of how you th- process the world. 
Likewise, if you're a scientist and you everything's you basically go your default assumption is scientific materialism, then that's how you're thinking statistically of how to go through life or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just probabilities and blah blah blah. That's very two different experiences. And if those two groups were in charge of things that matter in the world that we all agree about, what happens at school? What do we do with healthcare? Um, who is the chosen race that should be on top of things? Like all those things would cut the the two different worldviews would, you know, come up with different treatments for problems that we perceive and those those social level outcomes by what framed by how we really fundamentally see things turn out to matter incredibly high amount. Do we agree about that, Alex? 100%. Okay. So that's the battleground. It is a social battleground. So we might be better off to think less about the technical. I mean, from my point of view, I'm very comfortable with, I I don't think there's a, a need to, you know, rule out one or say one is right or has a bad agenda or anything like that. But it is true that in the social space of policy, the the two worldviews do compete and have very different prescriptive uh, ideas for what should happen. Okay, well, let me throw this on the table for discussion, guys, because here was the, we're kind of going through my path of doing Skeptico. And, you know, I started with the science. I came to the first, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I'm not a biological robot in a meaningless universe. Next, I came to the conclusion that there's something behind what Matt just said in terms of that there's some kind of agenda for why that's been so force-fed to me and I never got a chance to, to really look at it. So the third place I went is to say, okay, stay in with the science. Let's start looking at the spirituality part of it and the, the best place to look because there's good science is a near-death experience, right? And you look at that body of science, right? So a lot of people don't know, oh, what do you mean science? That's just stories and stuff like that. No, 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 no. At this point, over 200 peer-reviewed studies, some of the top medical journals in the country. And then you got to start talking to those guys. Like I've talked to many, many, virtually all of the top near-death experience scientists in the country, so or in, in the world, like uh, like Pen von Lommel, cardiologist in the Netherlands, very esteemed guy. What happens with these doctors? See, these doctors are outside of the science system a little bit because they're in there with patients. So they crack a guy open and they stop his heart, and he's dead. And the next day, he says, "Hey, doc." what was that joke you were making about me about, you know, this guy has a pretty good heart for a fat guy. And the doctor goes, how, who told you that? He goes, I didn't tell, no one told me that. I was up in the corner of the room. I could see the whole thing. So this is like one story. So then they start investigating this and the stories start piling up and then they start looking, well, is there any way that this person's brain could have still been functioning? Is there any way that there could have been drugs in, in the system? Could this be hypoxia? Could this just be the effects of oxygen not reaching the brain? So they go through and they look at all of these carefully, and the studies have been done and done again. And you won't, you'll hear the opposite from the, the skeptical people. You'll hear, he was never really dead. Near death means they weren't really dead and all the rest of this. We do not have 
a neurological model to explain what happens in near-death experience. And the consensus among the scientists who studied it, medical doctors who studied it and published in peer-reviewed papers over and over again, is that in some way we don't understand, consciousness survives bodily death. That's their conclusion. And it is unchallenged by anyone in mainstream science in any significant way. That consciousness lives on after death? That's unchallenged? By conclusion, you would have to say that at best, the conclusion made is that there are things that are unexplained. That would be the conclusion, not the conclusion of how to explain them, though. The conclusion of Pin von Lommel at, you know, University of New York, Stony Brook, who was the last holdout, is that consciousness seems to survive death in some way we don't understand. The conclusion of Pin von Lommel is the same. The conclusion of Dr. Jeffrey Long is the same. The conclusion of Dr. You know, I can go all the way through the list of everyone. All their conclusion after all their conclusions are the same after looking at the near-death experience data. Any other interpretation of but that their data, conclusion in, in as it would be written in their paper wouldn't be phrased as such as they're saying. It would be that there's uh, that, that there's you know at, at best stuff that they wouldn't be able to explain. But there's not there's not their scientific papers don't conclude that consciousness does in fact continue on past death. They, That's probably yes, not does. a claim of their scientific paper. Yes, how would they? How would they? Stu- how would they study that though? Where's the? They si- would study sci- that because you know. So here's here's the history of near death experience research. So when they first started looking at this, they, you know, were getting a bunch of stories, and they said, okay, medically, what's our best chance of getting some kind of conclusive data here? And they went to cardiology because cardiac. When you have a cardiac arrest, when your heart stops. We know physiologically what happens to your brain. And we studied it in animals. We studied it in humans. And we do EEGs. And we have all this freaking science, 60 years of it, that we have a pretty good idea of what happens when your heart stops and you no longer receive blood to your brain. And we know that your brain shuts down and no longer has any electrical activity. Now, there was a study that was done at the University of Michigan a few years ago as kind of a counter to the near-death experience that showed some bursts and stuff like that. But even that has been accounted for. So you guys know that's what... So they've studied it to the extent that they come to the conclusion that the only interpretation they can make of their data is that the conscious experience extends beyond what we have called clinical death. Death, we have a definition of it. When you go to the hospital, we decide what is death. You know, we don't know what death really is, but in a hospital, we say, okay, when this happens, this happens. But, well, but so, their data is you know, based on people that, that came back, right? I feel like that's what I'm understanding here. We're, we're, the data is, I, oh, I was in the corner watching you and heard that joke, but that person might have clinically died, but they didn't die. So even the word, even clinical death doesn't make sense if you're come back alive. Come back to life. There's a reason maybe you didn't actually die. We just can't uh, figure that out yet. We can't study it enough to figure out what it is, but your brain may be firing on a a way we can't test yet, right? We can't see it. The the thing there is, I I mean, nobody, if, if any of those doctors figured out that your consciousness keeps on going, they would be the most famous 
person in the history of the world and we would all know about it. Like I, I have never heard any of the doctors you said. So the the thing that bothers that gets all those me guys there. Have written, by the way, all those I guys have written New York Times sure. best-selling books. Uh, uh, so I'm I'm let's sure. just we I, won't be able to go through the studies. I mean, I haven't seen it, so you have to make some assumption that they're dismissed in science because they're either quacks or they're being suppressed because they're really on the right track. I don't know. We're not going to be able to sort that no, out. But no, can no, you name no. them and people can look it up for themselves? We're not. Gonna but be able to everybody sort it out on here. Earth would want to know their consciousness goes on. You would want but, to know that. Look, no, guys, no one would try to suppress that. The, 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 the idea that you guys aren't familiar with the near-death experience literature is okay. There's no problem with it. I'm sure. not upset by it. But anyone can go read. Well, just name all, the names and we'll let everybody go read Tim that Tim yeah. Jeff Long. I mean, all these people have written New York Times best-selling books. If you just go to Amazon and you search near-death experience science, or you can read the, the handbook of near-death experience uh, research, which is a compilation of, uh, of 200 of the peer-reviewed studies done by a woman at the University of North Texas and a woman at the University of Virginia. University of Virginia mm-hmm. has one of the most extensive programs in this. But I'll share with you just one study that I always like, which is kind of the definitive, for me, one of the most definitive studies is done in the UK by a woman named Dr. Penny Sartori. And what she did is she went to cardiac arrest ward of a hospital. And she said beforehand, she said, look, we're doing this study. Would you mind if you do have a cardiac arrest doing this survey afterwards? So afterwards, what she did is she went and she said, did you have a near-death experience? No, no, she didn't say that. She said this. Well, she did. She asked, did you have a near-death experience? And they either say yes or no. You know, they saw the lights. They were outside the body, all this. Then she asked, let me ask you a bunch of questions about your resuscitation process right? How you were resuscitated, how you were brought back to life. And back to your point, Toby, I understand what you're saying from a casual conversational way, but no, that's not actually true. We have a definition of what death is. We just the, do. I mean, we have but, to. But the people so you're it's arbitrary, to, though. I mean, yeah, there's but the a, people you're talking about are alive. We, they aren't it, dead. So, so you're saying you can die and not die. Well, it, it, that's that's medically, we have to accept that because but, that's So what that's the only happened. people we can study. We can't, we've never been able to study the people that stay dead. We don't dead. know when death occurs. That, that's the arbitrary no, that's just, way we okay, just one of the guys, say. One of the guys, you guys, I, I, I like your guys' confidence, but like one of the guys I <laughs> I'm not confident. was Dr. Sam Parnia. <laughs> Dr. Sam Parnia is recognized throughout the world as one of the leading researchers of resuscitation research, right? So this isn't controversial, no near-death experience. He's a doctor who researches resuscitation, right? People die and they're resuscitated. So you accept there's probably some guys out there that study resuscitation. So if you ask Sam Parnia, can you be dead? And then can you be not dead? He says, yes. Because for throughout time, medically, we've defined what death is, and right. we've attached to certain things that we know about what being dead means. But we might ought to update that in the future, is well, all I'm can, saying. Like, can, maybe we soon can, we'll update the definition of death to understand that it expands farther than we thought. Well, and yeah, that would, I mean, we can, yeah, and we might all live in a simulation, and we can think of all kinds of hypothetical kind of things. But when we're talking about science, we do have to go with what we know at the time. We can't leave the, well, you know, maybe they'll find this, maybe we'll find that. No, you, you, that's not that's changing, moving the goalposts a little bit. So back to Penny Sartori. So she's in the hospital. 
And she's interviewing these people after they've had resuscitation. Now, one of the things you got to know about in a modern hospital, when you die, cardiac arrest, you are not resuscitated like you see in the movies, where they just come in, oh, he's dead immediately. Come over, put the paddles on Toby, and, you know, he's back alive. No, yeah. man, it takes like. Don't die on me, years. damn it. Right. <laughs> Don't you die on me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Pounding on this. Right. No, it takes two, three, four, five minutes, you know, longer to, before they do that. So she goes and she starts asking these people. So she starts asking the people who, who did not have a near-death experience. And they say, what are you talking about? I was dead. There was nothing. Black. Nada. She goes, okay, well, just, you know, what, what do you think happened? Okay, well, I, I think they probably wheeled me in and then they put the paddles on me. She goes, okay, where did they put the paddles on you? Okay. And then how many times did they juice it? You know, all this stuff. And they're like, I told you, I don't know. Anything. No, play along. Come on, do it. So she gathers all this data. Now she goes to the group that had a near-death experience. And she says, what happened? And they go, oh, I'll tell you exactly what happened. First, they wheeled in the cart to do the thing on the chest, but it turns out it wasn't working right. So they were freaking out. And that one guy who wears the crazy orange hat, he went over here and did this. So then, and I was up in top of the room, so I could see that he had two different socks on that day, which I thought was really weird. So then they wheeled that out, and then they started doing the chest compression. So they're going through in detail what happened from the top corner of the room. Now, is that a valid study? Of course, that's a valid study. That's how we do medical research. We ask people about their experience. We have a controlled way of doing surveys. And then we review that and publish that kind of data. That's the kind of science that is highly suggestive of the idea that consciousness survives bodily death. My question is, why are they always in the top corner of a room? They're in different points. But it does seem like joking. they go, th th there's a whole different range. <laughs> but I, I still would say we'd have to both agree that the only data you have is on people that we assume were dead. We, we can even say they were dead, but we have no data on anybody that stayed dead. You can stay not dead, you know, but, but the only data we have is people that came <laughs> back. And so That's we funny. cannot study that. We don't really have real data. Now, I'm, I... I don't know what I believe. Like, there's part of me these days that thinks if it's just black infinity and you go away and you don't exist anymore, where well, you got the meaning was what you made it here on this life. Uh, but I believe I I've been taught to believe that there's a heaven and there's a, there's a future after this life, and I'm open to that. I totally am. But the idea that we can be certain that your consciousness keeps going, we you you and I will not know until you die and stay dead. That's true. <laughs> No, but I'm being I'm being serious, you right? Won't know that, until after you stay dead for infinity. Then you have to you, stay dead you, for then, maybe infinity. And only then, <laughs> maybe after your body passes you stay away. Stay dead for infinity. May but, you determine whether or not you stayed dead for real, for real. <laughs> but is the Alex is the uh, if your consciousness keeps on going? Do you have like have you talked with anybody? Where does it go? Does it does it stay here in this <laughs> material world or what? You know, first of all, you, you guys ever seen any of those really old graveyards? especially over in Europe where they have oh, yeah. the little, the bell. 
so that if you're down there and they accidentally, you know, because <laughs> right. this, this thing about death is a little weird in, in right. terms of, yeah, you know, like it can pull and I'm not dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not dead, dead yet. Oh, yeah. 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 But that's funny. Well, yep. listen, I don't think we're going to be able to wrap up all these things, but I like, I love, in fact, your willingness to come on and just talk through and open up a bunch of questions and try to get at a couple of sides right away. Of course, this stuff's not that settleable, and I do hope everybody will look up all the names that you said and come to their conclusions and that scientific-minded people will not become dogmatic. That is a mistake for them to do so, and it is yeah. wrong when scientific people or skeptical people become dogmatic because that's a, it's a, it's hypocrisy essentially when they do that. And so I think you do a good job of pointing that out, demonstrating that challenging. I mean, I'm not saying you're not challenging my thinking on many of these things. I'm just trying to represent my, my go-to. I'm just, I'm during this interview. I hope you don't take me to have been uh, combative. I'm just kind of made a commitment to myself that I would just react the way I would if I was a listener and just see how, how, how that would go. So I appreciate bringing those things right into that tension that we're able to do here. But certainly I don't think we'll be able to like settle, settle any of it exactly, but opening up that tension is great. Oh, totally. No, I, I so enjoy and, and respect where you guys are coming from and first rate intellectual discussion, man. It's great. Well, I appreciate it. Alex Sakaris, his book is called Why Evil Matters, and the podcast is called Skeptico Podcast, right? Or it's just Skeptico, not the, yeah, Skeptico. Um, anywhere else folks listening can find you? No, that's good. Let's, let's get one more question to leave us. So we've set it up so that they can start to begin to think about why evil matters. And yeah. I'm telling you, a lot of people and our audience will resonate with a lot of the things you're saying, despite yeah. where I might disagree with you. There'll be many of our listeners that think I'm obnoxious and stupid but <laughs> which you are um, which is fine but uh mostly stupid. why does evil matter like that book is about like assume people are taking your point of view all the way through here now what is the reason that evil matters and why evil should check matters that book out? because evil is a lens spirituality begins when we acknowledge that there probably is a reality to these extended consciousness realms and it may not be angels and demons. It may not be what you were taught in church, but there is a reality to that. You're not a biological robot in a meaningless universe. You exist. And the second conclusion of the book, the book is not a preachy book. The book doesn't come to a lot of conclusions, but it comes to two. One is that you do exist, that just what you intuitively hung on to so beautifully is that I know I'm in here. And the second thing it comes to is you are good. You know, in your heart that you have the ability to choose good. And that makes you good. So the message that there is no good or evil, there is no moral imperative, there is no this just kind of blob of, you know, whatever you see on Netflix. It's not it's probably not true. And you might want to examine what that goodness is and acknowledge it and try and nurture it in a way. So that's, I guess, where I, where I come down on it. And my point is, I don't think you can get there if you believe 
in science and you believe you're a biological robot in a meaningless universe. And I also don't think you can get there. If you think, if you've bought into the idea that you need some intermediary to tell you about your relationship with God, that you need some book or you need some guy up there to mediate and tell you, oh no, baby, I got it. I'll tell you. I, my gut instinct is that's probably not necessary and could lead to some trouble too. So we can talk stuff. a couple hours on that. No, one it's too. good. It's oh, good. Yeah, I understand. Could. I think it's a great setup. And I, I appreciate your uh, message that worldview matters and that worldviews are coming at you through your entertainment and media and it matters. Like I really believe that like the Harry Potter universe, I see as JK Rowling's moral framework being put into society. Like, you know, like it's, it tells you who characters are, how to react right. to people, what to believe. I mean, that is in there. They say, Oh, it's just stories, but I agree. I think almost all media is aimed at probably, you know, even unintentionally at, spreading the worldview of its creator. I, th I take that seriously. I think that's probably what this podcast is. I just kind of get to say whatever I think, and that will influence people's worldview. And you are under, I don't say attack, and I don't think it's like suspicious or conspiratorial, but your beliefs are being shaped by what you're consuming all the time, oh, and they totally. do have real outcomes. And I think that's right. Yep, you know, I, I think that's really important. All right, Alex, this has been great. Thanks for coming on. Man, uh, I love it. It, 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 it. I'm the the quiet one on on episodes like this, but I I really get to sit back and enjoy <laughs> stuff like this. So we appreciate your time, man. It's been great hanging out with you guys. Truly great. Appreciate it. You too. Now the last question I do have: Are you an Ohio State fan? Because you seem like you were pulling for them instead of of our just Clemson. Big Ten. Oh, okay, just Big Ten. <laughs> I grew, grew up in the Midwest. Yeah. Damn, aren't you ever gonna? Don't you get tired of Clemson winning? No, never, not, not one. We lost so much. My <laughs> God, you, you can't imagine yeah, how much we lost. Yeah, got plenty of years of losing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, it goes back to... Do you think Davo doesn't get the respect he deserves? Oh, he knows I, exactly what he's doing. We got yeah, a theory he that he's, he, he's going to be president one day. Yeah, he's he, gonna, he could, I think he's going to the NFL, win a couple of championships there, and then he's going to be president. And talk about getting your thoughts into the public sphere – Came out of nowhere, and now one of the most maybe is potentially going to be considered one of the greatest coaches ever. I mean, there's something there. There's a there's a brain in that body that is phenomenal. He's not limited to coaching, I assure you. Yeah, what I, he has I, is, is beyond. I coaching. agree with you. I agree with you, and and kind of in a sideways thing back to the culture, the way I mean, I love how Davo plays that game, and they just keep feeding it to him every year. Yep. There's no talk. All you hear about is, you know, SEC. My wife is from Alabama and she's a big Auburn fan. She went to Auburn. So we always watch SEC and it's, but the media is like SEC just obsessed, you know, oh, I and know. every year devil's yeah. like, how come no one's talking about Clemson? Here we yeah. are, you know, in yeah. all our games. Like, yeah. He's right. He's right. He is. <laughs> all right, Alex, we appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. Take care guys. Okay, so we're going to let a little music roll up here and take a break as we transition out here. The music you're listening to, take a second and absorb it. Okay. This is a band called Bid for Escape, and this is their new single. It's called Your Bones. 
It's out now. And I've got some notes about the song from the band I thought I would share here. So this song is about staying true to yourself, family, God, and friends amongst chaos. Truth and love can go unseen through a chaos, through a chaos like a pandemic or societal injustice amongst our own society. So staying true to yourself is the root of binding ourselves to one another. So again, this is Bid for Escape, and they write music about real-life situations, stories, and emotional truth. The band, their the goal is to spread love through connection and music, and at the same time, reach out to those who struggle with mental and emotional issues. Uh, Bid for Escape uh, wants to share the stories of pain, love, and societal issues through music in hopes to be in hopes to be one with each listener and therefore have a meaningful connection with everyone they come across at shows. They were formed in 2017 by Aaron Lopez from Peoria, Arizona, and they write and record all their own music. They got a website called bidforescape.com. They're on Spotify. Thanks to Bid for Escape for running an ad on this podcast. I hope people are enjoying it, like the music, follow them, and works out good for everybody. All right. All right, Alex Sarkis, man, I -hmm. love seeing that, man. Now, I I tell you, y'all were above my head. I I, I try to hang in there. I try to do the best I can, but you know me. I just like having a good time, and my mind just starts – I have such a messed up mind. He said double slit test, and my mind went in a bad place. I did not. Like I don't know. I didn't even know. Was, I thought something bad was about to happen. It was. I was scared. I was like, "What? <laughs> what is Alex about to bring on here?" I was embarrassed for the BC. I was, and then luckily he saved it. That's, that's a real test. I thought. Yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> I was getting my heart started pounding. I was like, "What Which, are we about to get into?" What did you think here? Schrodinger's cat was? Oh then? my god! I don't want to tell you. <laughs> I do not want to tell you. My God. Anyway, that was lively. I enjoyed it. I, I was uncomfortable. I, you know, I just. He uh, he was saying some stuff. That's what I was thinking about. Uh, he didn't get my joke, but I was thinking about every time you leave your body, you go into the fucking damn corner. <laughs> and I don't corner. why is it because you don't hang out up there? Like in normal life, you're always on the floor. You go over to your regular exactly. corner, but in your you know your consciousness needs to get to that place you never got to, and it's if, the top corner of your the ceiling. If your inner Casper floated right out of you and you were a translucent form of Toby, what are you going to do? Sit right there and they're going to lay down on the floor? No, I don't think so. You're going to go to the dirtiest place in the room. <laughs> the place where all the dust is. All the You never thought about it your entire life you were there. That's where I'm headed. I'm dead, but I'm not dead. Anyway, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought he was great. Like you said, one of the things that's awesome about interviews like that is uh, we're just talking about stuff, and we disagree on a ton, but I, I want everybody to be able to say their ideas. How, it doesn't matter how much I disagree, and I think Alex agrees with that as well. It doesn't matter yeah. how much you disagree. You want to hear some ideas and push back, and then uh, if somebody really plants a great claim and a good idea, then it sticks. And if not, it doesn't. And so, you know, we all have ideas. Yeah, he's got a, a lane of focus that I I don't think is – completely misguided though so i think it's interesting i just feel the duty to to um you have to do the due diligence on the other side to entertain i mean you know he he's way he's doing something in my opinion of trying to manufacture an enemy um to some degree and to uh 
sim- oversimplify many things. So that's okay. That's and an he okay. Would, I think he would have the same argument for you. He would have the same argument for you, right? Like the idea of that you saying there is an enemy might be your foolishness or your silliness or the idea. I, mean, I don't even know if he'd say enemy. I don't think he's saying Neil deGrasse Tyson or those guys are, are inherently evil. He didn't say that. I'm not sure. We'll have to read the book and see. Um, but anyway, I just thought it was lively discussion. I had a lot of fun. I'm telling you, yep. I had a lot of fun on that. I one. thought he had a good personality to to do that with, and I en- yep. I enjoyed doing it. And he was a good sport. And uh, you know, I don't even think of it as a competitive thing, really. But I just wanted to try to hold, you know. Yeah, not he's saying go his along. beliefs. You're saying yours. Yep. Uh, you weren't. Yep. I, I don't think you were being. Uh, Rude would be to go. Oh, really? Oh, okay. All these it's doctors. Yeah, debate, I think I have yeah. heard of them before. That that would be the thing that that'd be patronizing and rude to him. You actually, I, I, that's the thing I want. I want people to be able to say their ideas and their ideas. We're, the, not the idea if you're shutting him down and you're gonna, or he's shutting you down and y'all crushing each other or something like that. Anyway, well, I'll, I'll say it this way: I have a new ability to stay calm that I didn't always possess in my life. So yeah. I was just kind of trying that on because normally when I get into that situation, I escalate. So yeah. to me, it's just practice of trying to hold to disagree without getting sent. You know, I debated evolution with people. Me. Since I was like nine years old in yeah. South Carolina in the late eighties. I mean, it wasn't, it's not, it's always been very not fun. Like I get mad. It's easy to make me mad. People make it insults. Is. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I've always been in that territory. I've, I've done it my whole life and I've always lost the argument because I got irritated. Right. <laughs> and then, so it doesn't, the, you know, a fifth right. grader that doesn't understand anything I'm saying can just make me mad, and then win, they, they apparently win the argument. <laughs> I, I promise you, I know you would never do this, but I promise you I would love to do extra episodes called Matt Debates, and <laughs> I just get to be the hype man. So, uh, so like, after you say, uh, I'm not following you with Schrodinger's cat, you just hear me go, oh, shit! <laughs> oh, oh, bulldog! Booyah! <laughs> Like I just, uh, 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 I like that would be so awesome. We like, gotta figure out I, the right format. For I know that. you don't want to do that, but that, we need to have Nate Henry back or something. And do yeah, it. <laughs> let's get Nate Henry back. Luke Rogers back. We'll get him back. Matt debates. I and believe. Just, I mean, I'm interested in that. To like that I'll degree. be Chris Wallace, but I get to hype you up. <laughs> well, I think that he is in the territory of Nate and Luke in that they, they have a point of where they're coming from. Right. Because there's some shittiness that people can really sniff out that it, that does suck. And they are right. against that. And so they will have some resonance and many people in our audience will appreciate and are on that wavelength because they feel yep. that same motivation that, that he does. So I, I, I validate that sentiment. If you enjoyed this you podcast, please join the BC pod, uh, the BC club, um, that is supports this podcast. Um, we sure would appreciate it, and we'll get more episodes like this. Maybe if you if you join the BC Club, you can give us some guests for Matt to debate even. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, like we said earlier, there's always episodes in the club that we're doing. we got some BC stories, which the clubbers are telling, uh, kind of just some of their stories of moving throughout life and their journey of getting out of stuff like religions or cults. Uh, it's, it's been really great. The stories are phenomenal. So join the BC Club now. Uh yeah, I'm going to... VBCclub.com or Patreon. You can find us there. Thank you. I'll see you yeah. soon. You can't be... You can be clinically dead, but can you be clinically alive? 
I'll, no, don't I'll, answer that. No, nope. <laughs> I will not allow you to answer that. I just want to make a bet on how if you could prove that you're dead for real, for real. How could you settle such a bet? Even if you've been dead for 25.6 billion years, you, there's still a chance. You don't know. <laughs> you don't. Uh, you, no, 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 no. Know. You do not know. Here has my conscience in the corner of the operating room. Tell me I'm dreaming dead or worse. Will I find you for real? Place your hands on my heart. Oxygen in your lungs, and don't 